We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Hack It Out Golf Podcast with myself, Mark Crosswell, Lou Stagner, and Scott Fawcett. As always, today we're going to be talking about swing matchups, what this could mean to you, what it means to me and Scott, and also be interesting to know what it means to Lou and how the ideas of golf swing matchups might help you kind of free your imagination a little bit, or maybe try not just to hit the perfect position in the golf swing. Should be a fun one. Scott and Lou, welcome. How are you both keeping? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Good. Scott? Slowly slowly thawing out. Doing yeah, good. Yeah, you've had it crazy over there. Wowzers. <laughs> um, hope everyone's staying safe as they can. So we're going to start with Lou. Swing matchups, Lou. Do you know what they mean or not? You have some idea, surely, don't you? You see. Yeah, sort of. But th- this goes back to the you know a conversation we had in a prior podcast with Michael Breed where I don't understand all the things that the instructors say. And sometimes um, I'll see one interpretation of matchup from one instructor and um, I think I get it. And and then I see a different interpretation from another instructor and I get a little confused. So this will be more of a learning experience for me to listen to you two talk through this. And uh, I'll try to ask some intelligent or semi-intelligent questions along the way. Okay, I like it. So, Scott, swing matchups for you. I'm sure it's something you've probably seen an evolution on from your old days playing to now, because it's certainly a very trendy term now, uh, and it makes a lot of sense. It's a term I will use in coaching and in my content a lot. Uh, what does the term mean to you, Scott? And has it changed the ideas over the years? Because, I mean, I was the better era growing up, and it wasn't matchups. It was much more the ideas of you hit these positions. What, what does it mean to you? Well, just to kind of expand on what Lou said there, I think this actually is a perfect little panel because you are an instructor. I, you know, know a lot about the golf swing and how to play, but I'm not an actual on the range instructor. And then Lou is, you know, your standard, you know, low single digit, mid single digit handicap. To me, when I first started hearing the word matchups, this would have been just, you know, within the last year, two, three or something like that, where I really started taking it as a, as an actual word. And it makes so much of what I feel like I did wrong when I was playing professionally in my 20s. It makes it clear why I was doing it wrong. I was, as you were alluding to there, a guy that was searching for this perfect swing. I worked on, you know, Hank, Hank Haney style, you know, principles. It wasn't with Haney, but it was with one of his understudies. And I just looked back at it and I was like, we were trying to hit this position that had no 
relevance towards the actual ball flight or anything. Like I'm sitting there striping golf shots and yet we're still working on this one position. And my, my big challenge was in the takeaway when the hands get to waist high and the club gets to parallel to the ground, mine was always inside a little bit and trying to get that thing just to be outside of my hands or right on my hands. It was just impossible. And every once in a while I would, I would get it. But in hindsight, we never were moving the camera around. I was moving all around a relatively large divot patch on the range. It probably was just a, a, a 2d optical illusion that, Oh, that one, you nailed it. Well, actually the camera was probably just a little bit more inside of my hands than the last one where it looked like it was way inside. And I, I just understanding that, a strong grip, yes, that can work, DJ, as long as you've got the right matchup. A weak grip, like Bryson, that can work as long as you have the right matchup, which, again, is what we're going to get into here. I think that it's, you know, as we were talking before, you you as an instructor, it's something you've done your entire career. But I also think that there have been too many just systems in place. And, and this is, you know, where our, our standard listeners at home trying to find YouTube tips and tricks that, <laughs> you don't have a clue if it's the right it's it's potluck if you happen across one that actually works for you if you okay. don't know exactly what it is you're looking for oh absolutely i agree i mean i think the idea of searching for tips is uh, obviously something that i'm involved with in such and producing tips but i try my hardest in all my tips to make sure people are having the ideas of, of taking any of the questions i might pose to them or ideas to an instructor like is this something that might work for me try it and then take the results to the instructor because i agree with you um you know lots of people are searching still very much for that perfect position just one point there that you picked up on on the camera angles i think is a great place to start um i did a video Oh, I've done so many videos over the years on camera angles and frame rates of capture. I mean, just to give you an idea, before they were using some, you know, high-speed cameras for analysis in the on the telly and what have you. I mean, that, and they were some of the biggest culprits of this. But you know, the the commentators giving their their ideas of what went wrong in a swing. The amount of times we've heard a pro hook the ball left out of bounds on X hole and then a commentator saying, well, you can see that they got stuck behind on that one and flipped it and turned their hands. And I used to just stand there thinking, well, you can't see that. You've got 24 frames a second camera on that player, 24 frames a second. So you've got about like, without measuring it, I can't remember what it was. I did it once on a video. You've got like, I don't know, seven frames before you get to impact from address to try and ana analyze what this player is doing. And that player's just hit it out of toe and got a bit of a duck hook from a toe. Like they haven't changed their swing in any position uh, in any way that you can see. And I think that's always the, the myth that gets peddled so strong is with camera angles and the, what people think they see on the camera. And then, I mean, the biggest thing with your takeaway there as well, uh, Scott, as in takeaway position you were trying to hit, if you're not relating that position to an impact position, you are literally relating it to a pretty picture on a camera, aren't you? You're trying to hit a picture that you think looks nice, basically. And that was the biggest change, which is when like launch monitors came along, basically, because that uh, instructor now, whoever they is, I'm sure they'll be using a launch monitor and be thinking, cool, if I had Scott back now when he was younger, I reckon we could have worked out actually if that made a difference or not. Exactly. And that's obviously, you know, is one of my best friends still is one of my best friends, the guy that I was working with. So I don't, I don't say it disparagingly because again, we're all doing the best we have with the current technology we have, but it is just the 2d distortion. It's just, it really is mind boggling. Like the face on view of Sergio Garcia, 
how it looks like he has 140 degrees of lag. I can't tell you how many times I was watching this. Like my wrist can't even get in that position. It's like, well, Sergio's can't either. If you take that camera, instead of being dead face on and you go up at a 45 degree angle to where you're looking down at him now, that, that, that lag goes from 140 to 90 in a hurry. And it's just crazy to think how much we missed that. Like, it's honestly, there's a lot of times I get, you know, people make fun of me thinking I'm a know-it-all. I'm like, there's a lot of really stupid stuff I've done that you should just be able to know with common sense. Like that is not what's going on here. This game, it just is so maddening because it's just hard to get real information as to what's actually going on. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's the 2D to 3D ideas that people are have got lost on for so long. Like you say, it's no, no blame. You know, people are doing the best they can with the tech that they had at that point. You know, the, the camera never lies. I remember always saying in videos, the camera only lies. Like if you work with cameras as much as I do, <laughs> I like the that. Cam- if, if the camera <laughs> never lied, it would be smarter than our brains. Because the only way we interpret this world is through our amazing bodies and brains. I mean, I, I had vertigo last night. I've had it once in my life before and I had vertigo last night. I was thinking I won't be able to do this today. It is the most horrible thing ever. Do you, do you know what it is? Have you Just dizzy, vertigo? right? I have, have, yeah, I know what it is. It's it's, honestly, you think if this continued for more than it's like half a night, it continues, you go to sleep and hope it's gone in the morning. I wouldn't live. Like I would stop (laughs) like, because you can't, you stand up and it's the world is spinning more than your worst ever drunk night where you've gone to bed and the world's spinning. It's just, so it's basically playing with your perception of the world and you wake up the next morning and any little movement in your vision, you're thinking, oh my God, is it back? Is it back? Um, so that 2D to 3D change wow. is massive. It's, so it's I, I, uh, I got a quick horrible. vertigo story. I, I um, suffered from it in the past as well. And uh, I was at work one time and it started to come on. I started to feel it and it got pretty bad pretty quick. And we were, we had people that were not part of our company in this very big meeting. And I started to really feel it. And I dropped my pen off the table and I leaned over to, uh, to get my pen. And I just did a face plant into the carpet. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it's horrible, isn't it? Oh, uh, it's horrible. And, and, you know, I stood, I tried to, tried to get up and, and, um, and everyone came obviously rushing over and they made me, my work made me leave in an ambulance and, and go get checked. Really? Oh yeah. So they you wouldn't would, be able to drive. They would, you would not be able yeah, to drive. Yeah, they would not let me. I could me... barely get to the toilet and back. You know, I was like, you're putting your hands out so you don't back. I'm almost crawling yeah. to my bed back. So I don't <laughs> want to smash my head open. It's horrible. But I mean, I did a video on the actual um, point you make there with Sergio Scott with 3D to 2D, where oh, yeah. I, I could move a right angle in 3D space on a 2D video. So I was literally able to just tilt that 90 degree angle back and the lag looks like it's increasing and then I tilt it back up and it looks like it goes back to 90 degrees. Um, yeah, I did that, I don't know how many years. But like this, the response to that video was massive. Like people were like, this is so, And but still every week you would hear the commentator going, look at the lag Sergio's creating, look at the lag. No, no, he's just laying that behind you and your face on on a 2D camera. So there's so much that's undone out there. There's so much mess in the message, I think, out there. So <laughs> I have a, a just a, a question around this. I've always wondered this. Why why we even use video to look at swings? Um, you know, I see I see swings get posted out, out there. And I'm not picking on any instructors by any stretch because they all know far more about the swing than I do. But I, I see 
instructors post swings of, you know, before and after of their students. And, and you, you can see big changes in the swing, but I want to know how did that translate to their results? You know, if it, they're a player like me, did, you know, did they go from a, a five index down to a two um, or did they go from a five index to a nine um, or, or, you know, instead of just looking at that, I want to look at, you know, actual performance of your shots. So if you're hitting shots on a GC quad or track man and, and you're tracking all that stuff, is your dispersion getting tighter or is it, is it getting worse? So like, I don't care that it looks different. You know, we all know that there's been countless golf swings uh, on the PGA tour through the years that are, are, you know, not what you would teach quote unquote, uh, just because the way they look, they're very different, they're unique, um, but they get great results. And, and so I'm, I'm always been more interested in results and not what it looks like. And, and maybe I'm biased because I have a really funky swing. Like it, the first time I saw my swing was well into my playing career. And, and it was, it was very scarring. Like I, it was nothing like what I thought it was. And it was ugly. Like I thought I had a very Fred couples like action and, but it was <laughs> not a Fred couples like action. It was like in my mind, that's what I said. It, it felt like, and that's what it looked like, but it, it was uh, the exact opposite of that. We're getting into like a matchup from there. You just when you said that made me think of back in 1998 or nine, I was traveling with Chad Campbell on the Hooters tour when he was winning, you know, half of the starts and was probably a top 30 in the player world. Um, and it was just hilarious because we're out at Glen Eagles, my home course in Dallas one time, and I'm in there working on my Hank Haney stuff. I've got the lines drawn on everything and Chad shows up and hits a few balls for us to go out and play. And he's like, well, let me look at my swing. I was like, that's not a good idea because Chad's got what traditionally looks like a pretty funky swing just watching it until you do slow it down and also know what matchups are and what you're looking for because from the top down it's about as Hogan-esque and good as it gets but it just looks a little funky and he went out and missed like the next two cuts after I gave him some advice and I told him Vince I was like this is a bad idea Chad but he had a swing where he was very compacted in his matchup, you know, is able to, to pull it off because he's clearing like Hogan, you know, in these, his hands, just everything was so tight around his trail shoulder and lowering, but then he got out of the way, something I don't do, which is why I, with a weak grip can do the same thing with a totally different look, but at impact, it's pretty similar. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So in answer to your question, Lou, why use video? Well, there's two, a few answers to that. I mean, I mean, I went for a big period of when I was coaching full time. I didn't actually really use video. I had it on there more for the student than me. So I would have my quad running and showing them data of ideas I want to do. And then I would quantify my statement by showing them the different shot patterns. So example, player wants to hit a draw. I give them two sentences or one sentence or three sentences to try and hit a draw. And then I show them the data of how the path comes from a different position. So more into out and the face is now closed to the path and we show them the tilted spin axis. I would also make it very clear to them. So I've achieved what you want to do. You've come here, you want to learn how to hit a draw. I don't know if you're a better player or not. You now need to go and play with that and see if that is a shot you can play with. Is it making you better? Is it making you worse? But here's what you wanted to do. So why use video? It helps the students sometimes understand what you're trying to say. So a picture for them is something that they can relate to. If there's a different tweak in a club face that you can see that then has a different result in impact that you can measure and show them the data, that's a picture that they might keep in their mind 
as they swing all oh, right yeah that wrist angle gets that face like you show me that picture that we measure that i keep it in these drawers that i do want to hit um yeah i'll take that mental picture away from me so you would use video for that reason for one the other reason why you use video is that like i mean my my force plate for instance is synced with the video and there are certain cues that I want to see certain forces peaking at certain positions in the swing, which relate to where their hands are in relationship to how far they've got to get to the ball, where the head is in relationship to the ball. So there's a good way of syncing up data with video as well. So that's for me and the student. And to be fair with you, a good coach can see relatively well in 3D. Now there's obviously massive exceptions to this. There's lots of things that you can't see in 3D, but I can see where the camera is in relationship to the ball and the player. And I can tell you where that club might need to be or not to persuade a different motion for a student. So a, a good coach can see the 2D image more in a imaginative 3D world, which allows them to interpret that data to a certain extent. You mentioned the force plates there because that's one thing when I was sitting in Como's living room a couple of weeks ago and we're talking about even with the gas, the dual force plates, because I think yeah. you use swing catalyst, I believe. Yeah, right? he's got gas ones. He's got the gas. And, and I was asking him, I'm like, am I wrong? But I feel like I can kind of see just in, intuitively after watching millions of swings, kind of what's going on. Now you, Como, because you do this on a daily basis, can you kind of see it? And he's like, I mean, absolutely, you can. Uh, getting the exact trace, there's definitely stuff you can get out of the data and, and, and that that is very useful. But like you say, you can once you kind of, well, it's like the a Mensa or an IQ test. It's always got these odd shaped things. Which way is this one turned, need to turn in order to match the other one? It's a it's a bit of a, a thought experiment along those lines with, with like an yeah. IQ test and being well, able to infer. Absolutely. I mean, as soon as you see a club face twisting a certain way on a backswing as a coach, you're now instantly going to see how they deal with that. So in a video, if someone sends me a video and I see them turning that club face to the ground, what the world knows is closed. I'm instantly now thinking, OK, are they going to hire the handle to deal with that? Are they going to get the handle way forward to deal with that? Or are they just going to like early extend and crunch up to deal with that? Or are they going to use loads of horizontal to push along the ground to deal with that face? So you can use video for many ways, but you want to quantify your ideas as well with some data. Lou, what were you going to say? You had your hand up. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I'm just um, somewhat anti-video. Um, you would be anti-video too if you swung a club like swing. me. I've never seen right? it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've seen my swing from the side, Scott. Um, and and you don't you can't appreciate the full glory of my swing until you see it from down the line. I, I do things with the club that are we'll just call it unique. Yeah, I've uh, seen your I, swing. You've sent me some videos of your yeah, swing. Yeah, it's very so unique. When I look at your swing oh, as boy. a coach oh, boy. <laughs> for lots of years, I see someone who might hit the ball all over the planet. So the first thing I would see is someone who can hit it like better than me when they connect it. But then the next one's like laughable right and the next one's laughable left. So, for instance, if we were playing in the competition um status i would just sit back and wait for you to implode like i would not care if you were three up i might be wrong but that's what i see when i see your movement you i, I mean? thought we were friends you're down to two, we're down to two <laughs> people on our podcast mark mark <laughs> no, I'm, I'm out the truth uh, no you, you you are um you're very spot on so i've always been a, a higher variance player 
And, yeah. you know, back when, back when I was down at scratch and playing competitively, like when my timing was on, I could play really well. Uh, and when I was hitting the ball, when I had command of timing or whatever it was that day, I could really play well. Um, but when it was off, it, it was it not like, you know, when you guys get off, you know, you, you, you know, you're shooting 75, 76s, 77s. Like when I got off as a scratch player, I mean, I was scraping at 85s, upper 80s. Yeah. Uh, I well, mean, it, it got, oh yeah. Yeah. Here's the matchup for you then Lou, right? And I, it's an honest question. You come into my teaching bay and I've done some pre-work and I've sent for your, you've sent me your swing and you've sent me your patterns of shots and I can see what I explained there is something that's coming through. The first question I would be asking you in the idea of matchups is do you want to be more consistent, which might require you maybe dialing back a little bit of distance, defunking a lot of the movement, working quite hard on positions that will make you feel uncomfortable, or do you want to just do the best with what you've got? So instantly, my idea of matchup has to not only match up to the positions you hit, but it has to match up to your personality. Because if you're somebody who comes to me and says, look, I, I, I'm getting so frustrated with golf that I'm almost giving up. Like I play off scratch and I can play really well, but I have these days that are so bad that make me want to give up and just not play anymore. Like, how can I be so good and so bad? Well, my question to you would be, well, what matchup do you want? You can win like that, being good. And like some people are never that good. At least you get the good. They're so bad. If you want to get rid of them, you might not have to be quite so good as well. So overall, you might be quite similar, but your enjoyment day in, day out might go up because you won't have the, I want to never play golf again games. Do you see what I mean? So the matchup is not only in what you're swinging wise, it'll be to your personality as well. You would have to tell me which one you want. And if you say you want both, like you want to be consistent and the top end, and I'd say, well, you have to quit your job and off we go. We'll have to work harder than you've ever worked before. So um, let me let me ask you a question around that. Um, and boy, we're going to turn this into how to how to make my swing better, uh, which is fine <laughs> with me because I need all the help I can get. Um, but I have hit countless golf balls. I, I've I would, I probably hit more golf balls than Scott back when I played, uh, and was down at, <laughs> I would, you know, when I was single, I was at the golf course every day. I, if I hit 300, 400 balls a day, that was probably what I was doing back then. And, yeah. and I had the swing where, um, if I would go a couple of days without hitting golf balls, I'd come back. And as a scratch player, I felt lost. Like I was yeah. not, I was not like, um, you know, Bruce Litsky who could, you know, legendary guy go, you know, go months without touching a golf club and show up and play a tour event. If I went two days without hitting the golf ball, I didn't know where the ball was going to go when I came so, back. Yeah. Like, so that leads back to my question. Do you see what I mean? What my question to you is, do you want that much commitment to play at a standard that makes you but happy? But here's my, here's my question. I, the move that I have, I've hit hundreds of thousands of, of, of balls with that move. And how difficult is it going to be for me to change that pattern? Like I've tried to oh, make some no, changes. No, 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 you haven't. Right, okay. I'm going to stop you there. All right. I know what you're saying. It's the clap. I've, like, I've had these conversations yeah, like I'm a ready. million I'm ready. times I'm over again. I don't care how hard it is. Only you care. Like I, it's not hard. But what might be hard is for you to stop caring about how hard it feels. So that's again, back to my initial question. It's the same question. 
Do you want to try and be more consistent? It'll feel horrible. So what would happen is we would, you would, most people would go, I want to be more consistent. And we would start down the consistent tree and it would feel horrible. And then I've got the whinge monitor on. Like as soon as the whinge monitor goes to a certain extent that we both can't handle, I will just put the brakes on and say to that person, that like, you either need to shut up whinging or we're just going to try and make you the best you can be with what you've got and you're going to have to have the highs and lows. So you only make it hard. The five hit thousands of balls, bloody, bloody, blah, means nothing. You could change that in five swings if you wanted to. And the key is if you wanted to. No, I do. I, I absolutely want to be more consistent. Like last night I was hitting nine. But how much yardage do you want to give up to be more consistent? Because um, I know you hit it a long way. I mean, I'm happy to give up yard. If I can get back down to scratch and be a lower variant scratch player, I, I would love to do that. And so how far do you need to hit the ball to play off scratch? Off the tee, I reckon you need to hit it about two. Do those two things to have to go do those two things have to go hand in hand though, Mark? No, no, they don't. They don't. But let's do I just want Lou to answer the question because it's going somewhere. Let's say you have to hit two fifty to play off scratch. Is that fair? I know scratch players who hit it two fifty off the tee. Is that fair, Lou? Um yeah, I mean, there are certain... And you're hitting it, I, what, at the moment? 300? Yeah, I, I get it out over. to 290 plus. Um, yeah. Yeah, 310. Yeah. That's a lot of ego you have to give up. It is. <clears throat> are you I willing would be, to... <laughs> see what I mean, Scott? I don't care I, how far I would be, it's in. My I question would be is, okay oh, with my that. question, yeah. though, you say that, but you would stand in my bay and hit a drive that goes 245 in the air and rolls out to 255, and you would say, I can't hit the ball like that. And I, uh, I like you've just hit like five shots with a seven yard standard deviation left to right, all averaging two fifty, which I could play off plus two in it off in in it two fifty. And you've just said to me, I can't hit the ball like that. Because so the matchup is you as much as it is the movement of the swing. Well, well so you- let me and just let me give you at least my thinking on that. So in the past or even currently i hit i've always hit the ball a decent way um and then you know i was away from the game for a little bit after my daughter was born and got a little bit older and my swing speed went from 108 down to like 99 but i had pretty good launch conditions at 99 it could still get it out there pretty decently um and that always allowed me to smash it out there as far as i can and get a short iron in my hand which i'm much better at it, yeah. you know you you put four iron and five iron in my hand and i'm not uh, yeah, I'm nowhere. I'm a much better short iron player than I am a long iron player. And so um, if I, if I was going to get significantly shorter off the tee, I would have to get much better with my long irons. And, and so that, I yeah, think but that would, all comes hand in hand. That would all come hand in hand with your movement because the movement would bleed over onto every yeah. aspect of your game. You wouldn't what just I, have a drive or swing. It would be built through every motion that you make. Yeah. I'm, I'm good with getting consistent and whatever that means. Uh, ultimately I'm, I'm going to measure my performance in my index. And if my index goes down, I'm going to be happy with that. And like last night, as an example, I'm hitting nine irons and I'm just doing, you know, this drill where I'm just trying to keep it on the center line and I'm just, peppering the center line with these nine irons hitting it just perfectly and then i hit one that nine iron i hit one and it's just right of right of right and it's 27 yards right of the center line with a nine iron like Mm. i mean scott hasn't hit one like that in probably 40 years um (laughs) and a lateral in <laughs> and, and and so those are the things that creep up on me, and um, those are the things I want to. They're, I know they're not going to go away, but instead of missing it, you know, thirty yards I, right with a nine iron, I, I want to dial that into you know twelve yards right. 
Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, you also said, why not show stats when you said about the video, why not show stats? And I'm a hundred, I a hundred percent agree with you there. I mean, I, when I was coaching full-time, I used to just post before and after club path numbers more than I would post, um, you know, a, a swing, a video of a swing. Cause I actually wasn't taking videos of swings. I would just say, look, guy swinging 16 out to win in X amount of curve, wanted to hit the ball straighter now swinging club path, like, two degrees deviations away from zero and the face around zero balls much straighter. They're, they're the things I would post, you know, but I, I do think as well with matchups, people need to understand that it, it has to match the personality as well. It ha Like you just taking you as a really good example. I've taught hundreds of you, maybe not as statistically minded as you, which I would only see as a positive if you came for me for a lesson, but I would, I, I see a lot of golfers, male golfers like you, like hitting it, 40 yards further than me if they want to, but playing off six, seven, eight, nine, tens, twelves, um, dialing them back to become more consistent is an is an ego matchup as much as it is a swing matchup. Yeah, that's sorry, tough. Scott. What were you I doing? Mean, yeah, I know, I know. Hitting the smashing the the cover off the ball is fun, Mark. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy yeah, I agree. That. I agree. But again, people, that's people who don't think we can be objective, here we are. We're sitting here talking yeah. about hitting it shorter. I, I'm already <laughs> putting my vote in for we're not publishing this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So Mark, so let's go back to this whole concept of, of matchups. And yeah. I'm still like, as a, not a, not a teacher, not an instructor, not a high level player like Scott, I'm still trying to understand like what that means and, and okay, maybe what so it means specifically to me. Yeah. Well, let's pretend, you know, first parallel, you take the club away into the takeaway, the first parallel and the club faces turned down to the floor, which you would probably understand as a layman as that club face is closed are you happy yep. with the position first parallel you're just saying as you take the club back it's parallel to the ground just for correct listening yeah so it's around swing. waist height and you've got the club face turned down to the ground so instantly if that club face is turned down to the ground and you simply put no other twists or turns into that club but just hit the ball from there it would have like zero amount of loft you've taken off nearly all the loft of the club so the matchups or what movements is that player going to make to, to, to now deliver that club from that position? So, for instance, they can lean the handle forwards to make sure that that club face isn't pointing 90 degrees left. They could lean back to try and put Loft back on the club that they've taken off on the backswing. And then the question is, do those matchups make it easier or harder for that golfer to achieve their goal? That's kind of the simplest layman's terms of it. Does that make any sense, Lou? So someone puts in an awkward angle. The next question a coach will be going, right, that's interesting. How is that player now going to manage that angle? And then you've got some great players who manage it. You know, you take in, take the funkiest swings in the world, a Furyk for argument's sake, they take that club back where it pushes what looks like people would call the outside, like he just picks it up in the air. A layman would look at that and go, how can he hit it from there? A coach would go, okay, he's done that. I wonder why he does that. And then he'll hit shots. You think, oh, that's why he does that. You carry on being really, really good, unless you've got questions for me. So unless you've got a question for me around, you know, I keep hitting X shot, and I'll find that pattern for you. Does that does that in you know, any way it, it make does it make sense? It does make sense. So you've seen my swing. So would you would you change what I'm doing from the beginning because my matchups aren't aligned, or would you um, would you allow me to start the club the way that I do and then change what I do after that? 
And uh, did that make sense the way I asked that? Oh, I would. That's I don't know. That's where you would have to experiment. That's the thing I say with all students. I want you to do this. And they would say to me, is that going to make me better? I'd say, I don't know. You haven't done it yet. How you will react to a certain movement for me, I don't know. What would happen? I would give you a suggestion. I want you to go and trial it and then come back and let me see if that's worked or not. And often we would do that in the lesson. You know, my lessons were three hours long and still are. We've got plenty of time to experiment with what's going to turn you on to make you a better player. All right. This this is me angling for some free lessons here. Maybe it would be a great (laughs) video series. To do the, the, you know, the Lou Stagner transformation, you know, over the next 12 months. I've that, got an idea yeah, that's never been wink, done nod, nod. From hacker to hero, how Lou's <laughs> going to get to scratch. I've never seen anybody try to post anything like that. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. How many of them are there? I think, I think that the, the critical change for me came from just understanding the idea of hand path and center of mass in relation to swing plane. So like I say, I was a Haney guy in my twenties and you're never even thinking about the center of mass. So, uh, you know, a guy like Matthew Wolf. What does that even mean though? Like I hear something like that. I don't even know what that means. So the center of mass, there's a balance point, obviously where you can balance the golf club on your finger. That's the physics, the, the center of the mass. Your hands are the only attachment to the golf club. So really it's the center of the mass of the club in relation to your hands, that that's what you're managing. So the idea of a traditional swing plane from down the line, it's really kind of relevant. You look at Jim Furyk, you look at Matthew Wolf, you look at guys that have, you know, air quotes, funky swing planes, but by the time they transition, regardless of how it is, that club, basically they will always set that center of mass behind and slightly below that swing plane, the traditional plane of glass and then how they get it from there into impact is the idiosyncrasies of their matchup. So you can do it as we were talking before with a strong grip by clearing your body. You can have a weak grip and not clear it as much. You've got ways that you can post your lead leg in relation to all this stuff. Side bend. So Como and I, again, Como was one of my best friends and he would probably laugh at the lessons he gave me back in 2004, five, six, and seven, because we had, um, who was it? I, I, my COVID brains got me. Uh, uh, Rod, Rod Pampling. Is it Rod Pampling? Rod Pampling, who's not even close to my height. He's not even close to my size. He's not even close to my speed. And we were using him as the model swing for me. And everything I was trying to do is get more right side bend leading into impact and then be straightening my lead leg to offset all of that. And if, like physically, I'm not very flexible. That's just not the way I'm going to swing a golf club. Oh, absolutely. So, you you got to match it to the human as well. I mean, 100%. That, and that's why when que- answered your question, Lou, until we get you moving, how am I meant to know what movements you can and can't make? I have some data of prior people who are similar to you who could do it and couldn't do it, which I might, you know, if I've got, a hundred people I've tried this move with and 90 of them succeeded and 10% didn't, I'm going to chuck you in the 90% bracket to try and then think, Oh no, he's one of the 10% guys. I'm not going to start at the 10% swing fort that fix that for, I'm going to start with, and that's again where good experience with a coach will shine through. Not only does the measured data help them get to the root cause quicker, but their experience of how people react to their sentences. You know, I never forget saying to coaches I used to work with, I basically have a black book of sentences 
that I'm delivering. If I see that pattern, I'm going to say, right, this sentence is the one that normally fixes that pattern. So why would I not start there? Uh, all right, that's 80% success gone. So I'm in the 20%. I've got two sentences left. Which one should I use next? Well, okay, that one was 15% successful. That one was 5%. Well, I'd go for the 15%. Oh, bum, you're in the 5%. Like the chances of you being that person get less and less as you go down. So it, that's where the good experience comes from. And I mean, the main thing to think about with matchups as well is about which relates to your point, uh, Lou. Why not show stats? And still far too many golf lessons are done without stats, which is something that I think the golf instruction industry will really hopefully develop over the next few years to get better at. It has to be about what your objective is. So if that is, I want to stop hitting the ball out the heel, well, I'll measure, check you're hitting it out the heel. Yep, they're doing what they're saying. And then I'll give them some sentences and measure with my quad where they're now hitting on the face. And I'll say to them, right, you're now not hitting it out the heel. That's what you wanted to fix. Now go away and play with that and come back and tell me that you were better or worse. When it, you say stats, what do you what do you mean by that, Mark? Because obviously I sell a stats program for a living. We have stats. I assume you're not talking golf stats. Are you talking uh, physical no, I stats? Am. I, I'm talking, so the amount of golf lessons that are still given. I've spoken to a few coaches recently who are working on X, Y, and Z with X tour player and what have you. And I say to them, well, what's that done to their greens of regulation or their proximities from different places and they go i don't know well what are you working on then like what i literally say what what actually are you working on i mean i can i mean i can buy a wig and look like blooming john lennon if i want but i ain't gonna start writing imagine am i like what are you doing like it needs (laughs) you know what i mean it has to it has to have an end goal which is what lou is digging at with why use video why not show the stats because, you know, I would have so many students come to me who say they want to hit a draw and because they're hitting, you know, like a 25 yard cut and they do lo- they start some straight and they do really lose them off to the right. And I would say to them, like, you could aim 10 yards left. Oh, I don't want to do that. That's not right, is it? OK, OK. So I'll get them in a draw within not many shots, like, you know, five or 10. You could get them in a draw much quicker than they've ever hit a draw. Well, I'm in a draw, they'd say. And I'd say, well, look at your dispersion now. It, it's worse you were straighter hitting the 25 yard cut so why don't you now do um 12 shots where we aim 10 yards left and they hit them and i show them dispersion i say look i've given you an extra weapon you can now hit a draw there will be some situations where that will be the shot to play but really if you want to hit the ball and play more you should just play your 25 yard cut and then they've gone away with more weapons in the toolbox so then come back to me and measure if their handicap has come down or not because that's the other thing the student generally doesn't know what they need even though they'll have an opinion and that's one of the hardest things to match up is getting them to drop the baggage that they bring in if, if any coaches are listening the biggest a bit of advice i would always give to coaches is you need to be able to manage the bag drops like the baggage that students come with if you can't get them to drop that then you won't you know, that person who wants to hit a draw, but their dispersion goes to 50 yards left and right, where it was 25 when they were in their cut. You've done what they wanted to do, and now they're worst player. Like, what's the point in that? It's got to always come back to the stats. It's got to come back to if their handicap is coming down or not, if that is their goal. Because you got to remember, some people have lessons, they just want to top a few less shots. They're not even keeping score. They just play with their mates, and they have a top in a certain situation. And you then think, right, okay, the matchup with this is to get them hitting a few less tops. The fact that they hit a le- they stop it in the top and they hit it really well, but it goes in the water where normally they would top it short and then chip over. So their score's worse, but they're happier. So it's got to match up to the human. It's not all just 
position matchups. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's really that's really interesting. So my personality would be as as it would be, um, if I'm being honest, it would be challenging to lose fifty yards off the tee. Um, that but would, I was um, putting that as an extreme. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I because that was that was a warning. So what I mean by that, so when I say <laughs> that, is you you warn people that's going to happen, and then what happens is they're averaging two eighty rather than two ninety, but they feel like they're only in it two fifty. So to get you to not be so wild, you would make a movement that feels much more restrictive. And restrictive would then interpret people would interpret that then as not going as far. So you you I'm putting like a little bit of I'm putting you in a padded cell for the chain just so you can bang your head, but it's not actually that bad because what happens <laughs> is your strike is more consistent, so you average out two seventy two eighty, and then it's all alright. Sure, whatever we can do. Constantly what, playing mind games with students. Yeah, so whatever put, we can do to keep me out of a padded room, I'm in for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm ready. Whatever I can do to uh, get rid of the massive foul balls that I am capable of. Like we could do multiple episodes on the foul balls that I've hit through the years. Yeah. And, and uh, some of them are just legendary. So, and they come yeah, up yeah. at the most inopportune times. Well, well, the, the, the only thing, other thing, yeah. you know, back to obviously, since we're talking about matchups here, the other note that I'd made is, is, you know, we've got center mass of the club. You've also got center of pressure and this is where, you know, again, without, you know, naming names or whatever, a lot of the people that, that get, try to get you to not move off the ball, they're like, look at this still picture of this tour player at the top of the swing. He hasn't moved laterally at all. Thus, his pressure hasn't moved. And it's like, well, no, that's not even the case. I can stay dead still and move my pressure 80% to either side, and you wouldn't even be able to perceive it with the naked eye. And, and so, Hey, so you want to be in this position at the top that has no weight distribution towards your trail foot. Like that's not going to happen. We'll now get to the static position and put 80%. That's not going to happen either. It, it's really, it's a dynamic move that the one problem with using camera for it's a dynamic move that you're distilling into still shots. And that loses so much in translation again, back to Mark and, and Como and all these great instructors they can see the pressure traces, the, the weight shifts. They can't see it in a still picture. They got to see what's going on to get there to make some inferences. But it's just everything. It's just, it's just, yeah. Center pressure is a great example. Center pressure is a great example. It's one of the things that you think you've got an idea where it's going and then you measure them and it's like, well, okay, that isn't moving the way I even thought it was going to be. When it comes to video, and ground reaction forces, unless there's something really dramatically visible in there, it, it's you need to measure those kind of things to dig, you know, to dig down. And again, we just haven't seen enough swings over the years. You've got to remember, I've seen hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of swings over the years related to launch data. Ground reaction force data relationship to video movements is so young in its development to be able to, to relate them. Go on, Scott. Well, and this is why I talk about practice habits so often. You get so many people that are just dragging a ball over and they're standing over the shot. They're never looking, you know, left or right, depending on whichever handed they are, but they're never looking to the target at all. They're just standing there and thinking. And then all of a sudden they try to start the swing. And that's, again, it's not a dynamic start. There's, if there's one thing that I'm probably say this and probably get it being correct, but if there's one thing that basically every single tour player does, 
the, probably the only thing is they all start with weight from their trail foot. They push it to the lead foot to then push backwards to start the swing. You can't really start the swing just by starting backwards. You got to kind of give an, you know, the equal and opposite reactions. You got to kind of do a little tune in your weight shift. And whether you can see it or not, a guy like Olathabo looked like he was standing dead still whenever he would start his swing, but there still is just a minute push from the back foot to the front foot to then go back. And there's just certain things that, that when you're practicing, if you're not, you know, at least doing some semblance of your pre-shot routine, that gets lost. And that's just the trigger that all good and great players that, you know, people used to call it a forward press or what's your swing trigger. Your swing trigger is how do you get your weight moving from the static position you're starting at? And that's crucial to understand how that, you know, inter intertwines with your, you know, the first, you know, 20 inches of your backswing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, something I've really noticed when trying to improve distance, my waggle as such, so you think of that as waggling the club, but my whole body waggle has dramatically changed to be so much more aggressively shifting left, right, left, right with my, you know, to start to get this momentum of this big push. And at the end of the day, you ain't going to have any momentum if you don't have a push in a place. It's, it's just it's how every motion starts. You've got to push somewhere. Um, even if you don't feel it or see it, 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 it's there. And again, that's just another example of a matchup. Try, try putting your right foot on a slide board, your trail foot, I should say, on a slide board or a piece of ice and try to get a tour player to, to start his golf swing. They, they won't be able to, I mean, they'll be able to do it, obviously, but they won't do it well. They no. will slide out on their trail foot and you yeah. would think they'll slide from the front. No, they will for sure slide on that back foot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So Lou, matchups, I mean, really they stem from now. I mean, the reason it's become the term matchups has kind of become a term because I've always, to be fair, I mean, I've always taught matchups. It's always been about trying to get the player making the best movement for them. Um, are you a little clearer on matchups now, Lou? Does that make any more sense? I, I am, but let me ask this question. So I assume there's a lot of different combinations of matchups given the player um, and, and all the variables that go into each player. Um, how do you how do you know what matchup to, to use for a player? Is it, is it trial and error or do you see like certain movements from a player and immediately, you know, you start to narrow down and say, okay, they do this, they need to really do this. Uh, is that, is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, with every human, it's always going to be trial and error because every human ha is a mess. We are just big bundles <laughs> of mess. Right. Um, but you are, the more experienced you get as an instructor, the clearer those patterns come. And then if they don't work that way, similar to what I was saying earlier, you're shocked that your method didn't work. And then you just log that into your black book and you put it there and think right there, the, this group of people, and I'm going to find other loose stagners that I say X to, and they, and they say Y. Um, and I think, right, when I find another Lou, I'll try that first. So it, that's like, I call it air miles, like a, a pilot. I don't know if they still do. You have to have a certain amount of air miles that you've flown to go up for the bigger planes, I think, to get your licenses for the bigger planes. Coaching is very much the same. Uh, what you'll find with good experienced coaches is that it is trial and error. Everything has to be in coaching. And that's why I hear in your questions, it's interesting because I hear the analytical side um, where that's a skill. It can also shackle you a little bit because it is, it has to be a certain amount of experiment and feel because 
the information you're giving is in theory correct, but it might not be correct for how you interpret it out in a movement. You know, I'll be, you'll be amazed at the amount of people I've told who are topping the ball to try and get taller through impact, for instance. So people who are topping the ball and you try and get them to push up through their left sides more because that actually sends the club down more. And you look at them and they, they look at you like, I'm topping it and you want me to get taller? So in effect, there's a matchup that lots of people just instantly wouldn't see. But a good experience of a coach knows that if you get them pushing up through their lead leg quicker on the downswing, that generally tends, um, tends to throw the club down more, down near impact. So their strike just gets loads crisper and it moves low point forward as a general rule. So they're topping it because their low point is before the ball. So they bottom out before the ball, don't touch the ground and then come up and fin the ball. They think they're topping it because they're landing on top of it. So it, it's the amount. That's interesting. Of, I'd never, I'd never thought about low point being behind the ball. Oh, toppers. Top. It's always yeah, I'd behind. I never really thought about that. Yeah. You, if I want to top a ball on purpose, I go down, I move my low point a foot ahead of the ball and top it. And what happens if you top the ball like that is if you, you can catch it. So yeah. it's a top where you, if you hit down on a ball, to top it, it goes into the mat if you're on a mat and it shoots in the air. You can literally, it's a trick. You can top it. How many people do you play with who it tops where they can catch it? They don't top it like that. They top it 20 yards out in front of them because they're leveling out before the ball, catching it on the way top, on the way up. So it's a forward top, not a down top. Um, so yes, a good instructor, Lou, in answer to your question, will be very close to knowing the matchups. But again, you're as you're if you're a good coach you're prepared for shocks you've got to be prepared for a curveball for someone just you saying i mean good example someone's warming up hitting the ball quite nicely and they've got like their lead foot turned in a little bit and you say to them well can you just turn that lead foot out for me a little bit like i, I just don't like seeing it turned in it might restrict turns it makes my left knee hurt just watching it they turn their left foot out, right? They turn their left foot out. Let's say like 15 degrees. Like I'm looking at it thinking it's a minuscule little, like it's not going to do anything. I literally just don't want to look at you and come back to me with a sore knee in two months time. And they start shanking it. And like this has happened on lesson tees. And I think, whoa, okay. This student is like a rose petal. They are so delicate. <laughs> like I need to be, if I'm telling them to just turn their lead foot out 15 degrees and they start shanking it, what are they going to do when I start telling them to move their wrists in a different way and what have you? So at the end of the day, the human's always going to throw mess in, but there are definite patterns. There are definite patterns, but any good coach will tell you, they don't know if they're fixing a student until the student is better. You know, I, I can say, I'm pretty sure this will make you better, but I don't know how you're going to interpret it until you do it. The biggest statement I used to constantly use in uh, lessons and it just, it, it was like a continuous one. It made, I thought it was really interesting. I want you to do this. Oh, that make me hit it better, will you? And I used to say, I don't know. You haven't done it yet. Until you do it, am I meant to know? I'm asking you to do something, do it. And then we'll see if it makes you better. Yes, I think it'll make you better. But, you know, I told the guy the other day to, to smoke 40 a day rather than 80 a day cigarettes. He's now smoking 90 a day. Like, I mean, what do you want? Well, I don't know what you'll react to what I say until you do it. Um, so matchups are, that's the other thing as well, Lou, I think it's interesting when you say that you're not sure what matchups are, you're not meant to know what they are that well, because you're not a golf coach. So when people say, I'm not sure what they are, I think good. Otherwise I wouldn't have a job if you all could just see them really clearly. And that's the thing. A good coach can see certain matchups. Um, but if they work or not, they're, they're still going to put their hand up a good coach. 
and say, well, I hope it works, but we need to trial it first. I think that just for the players at home, though, that's kind of the point is that anything, again, might work. I mean, obviously, there's some things that are probably more likely than others to work, but just changing your grip because you're hooking it. Well, it's it's funny to me because when I look back, I had a really strong grip in high school and college, and everyone's like, oh, you got a, a hooker's grip. Like, Everyone, I mean, for the most part, that's ever played this game well with a strong grip plays a fade. Like it's yeah. not a hooker's grip because you're not that you're holding on for dear life, but you're clearing in a different way. And as a result, you're hitting a fade with the, the hooker's grip. And it's it's just, again, comical. I just, the main thing for like the listeners. Yeah, just the main thing is for the listeners is, well, and Bryson, he's got his lead, his, his left hand is so, it's probably the weakest on tour. I've and got his only, wrist angles and it's, yeah. his wrist angles are insane through him. Yeah, and the only shot he can hit with the driver is a draw. That was the one thing he did poorly at the PGA was he tried to work the driver a little too much and drop back from driver a little too much. Going into Wingfoot, I was just telling Como, he needs to be hitting driver everywhere except for the dog leg rights, two and eight, because he can't cut it. And, and that's, it's really, it's really set up well for Augusta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tinkering with drivers the night before here in a couple months. We'll see how that goes. Well, here's a good matchup that Scott's touched on there. One I used to hate seeing when I was coaching full-time. If you had a good player with a strong grip hitting fades and could hit draws, that just made sense. That was a matchup. You just thought, yeah, really good. That player understands how to make that grip work. When you had a mid-handicapper with a strong grip, so a strong grip, hitting 30 yard slices, then you knew you were at the bottom of the hill. Like you thought, right, this player hasn't even, this player hasn't even worked out that that grip should hook the ball. Because what you'll find the pattern with good players who tend to fade the ball, and I don't know if this happened to you, Scott, did you used to draw it more as a kid or did you always fade it with a strong grip? Because the general pattern is that kids who grow up with strong grips tend to hook the ball a bit, then they have a few lessons, they learn how to fade with it, they like how that feels, it feels more consistent, and they become decent faders with it. Where you're mid-handicapped, guy who's picked it up in his 25s or 30 strong grip snap slices you just think oh wow like they've not even experienced that grip grip should should hook it so they're not going to hit control fade with it i don't know about you scott did you i i I don't remember but i do think that i probably played a fade mainly because whenever i started doing some of the haney stuff i was trying to learn to hit a draw so i don't think i i don't remember but i i don't think I, i i think i hit a fade with it yeah yeah yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, you definitely do see matchups. And the thing I think the takeaway home for me, Lou, is I'm glad you don't see them all because, like, you're not meant to. It's experience <laughs> that sees them at the end of the day because you are you're matching up two, three, four, five even movements. That it's complex. Dynamic it's, movements at that. Yeah, exactly. In, in amongst in. in amongst the mess of what you are predicting that human might do. So when do Good when stuff, do we like, start? I'm, I'm ready. When do we start? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have a chat about that once we've turned the pod off, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope that gives you an idea on matchups um, and an idea of how dynamic coaching can be. Because I do think I do. I post a lot of questions around coaching. Did you have lessons? Did they make you better or worse? And, you know, you get people say, oh, they made me worse. And I just think oh, that's a shame because 
you know, for lots of people, it's a matchup. Like I was saying to Lou earlier, it, it's they're hard to change your patterns of four or five dynamic movements. So sometimes it is a lot more work than maybe some people want it to be. Uh, thanks for listening, as always. Uh, remember, subscribe to the podcast. If you're not subscribed already, give it a subscribe because that means I think, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure you get the uploads a little bit quicker, Lou, because we post them and they don't go into Apple for ages, but the subscribers get them, I think. That is true. So if you're subscribed, you'll get the podcast before others. As always, thank you, Lou and Scott, and we'll catch you in the next podcast. <laughs>